Good morning. My name is Jonathan Beakey. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer OPC, and we want to welcome you to this beautiful day of worship. Uh, just a couple announcements before we get started. First, uh, Pastor Jeff is on sabbatical, so if you have a shepherding need, you can contact uh, Pastor Jonathan or one of your shepherding elders. Um, second, right after the morning worship service, Pastor Jonathan will be presenting on his sabbatical plan. So after the uh, doxology, just rem- uh, be seated and he will uh, present on that. Um, there's also a note in your update uh, from the deacons, so we want to draw your attention to that. This is uh, for the special collection opportunity for this month, the month of March. Uh, designated checks and undesignated cash will be distributed to, uh, directed to the tuition assistance fund. So just, just note that. Uh, also, uh, tonight there will be the Lord's Supper, so uh, be preparing for that. And uh, Pastor Doug Felch will be preaching uh, for us this evening. You will also notice uh, in the back there are some the high-top tables. Um, so after, or after the service, you can sign up for the town hall meeting. That will take place on April 7th. And then we have one final announcement. Uh, Deborah Benson will come up to do this announcement. And after she's done, we can prepare our hearts uh, for the, the service. Good morning. My name is Deborah Benson, as he told you, and I participate on the mission team at Redeemer with Jim Clayton, Jeff Rosendahl, Carrie Hill, Megan Herwire, Nathan Wright, and Jory Orr. And um, if you want to know more about the ministries that Redeemer supports through this mission team, please check out the wall across from the, while you're waiting for cookie and coffee. Today, though, I'm announcing that the mission team is sponsoring a short-term mission trip. You all received a Save the Date card in your mailbox. The focus of that trip is to support local churches in a poor immigrant neighborhood of Miami in three primary ways, children's ministry, evangelistic worship in exciting public places like the beach, and indoor and outdoor maintenance projects on on those churches. Um, The churches we'll serve are probably three. Two of them are Haitian-led churches, and one is a Jamaican-led church. Uh, The trip will be from July 20 to 26, and the first informational meeting, which includes an abundance of information you would need to know to make a good decision will be next week, the 10th of March, that's a Sunday, at 4.15 here at Redeemer, prior to the evening service. There is no commitment needed to attend an informational meeting. If you miss next week, there will be four of them, so you can catch the next one. Um, The word sponsor in this context means that the mission team will do all the organizational work And on their behalf, I will lead the trip. And other mission team members will participate in the trip as they are able. Sponsor in this context does not mean we're paying everybody's expenses. Um, 
Every trip participant would pay their own expenses, but participants can apply for financial assistance with the mission team if it's needed. Um, we chose this destination for two reasons primarily. First of all, we wanted that uh, Redeemerite getting back into a short-term mission trip as a uh, congregation would have the opportunity to bring um, people of many ages. For example, I will be bringing my 10 and 12-year-old grandchildren. So this trip has been specially designed so that children of, I think I said six or older, can participate with a parent or guardian present on the trip as well. And the second reason is that um, given the love and history of Redeemer with Haiti and Haitians, we'd love to use this as a stepping stone to getting back into Haiti, the country, the following year. We'll, we'll kind of be going to little Haiti in Miami, but... Um, so today, all that we're asking is that you begin to pray about involvement in this, if you feel um, that you're led. If you have any questions at any time, you can ask any of the mission team members that I mentioned. Thank you. In the Psalms, uh, David often cries out to the Lord for deliverance. Uh, on what basis does he make this request? Often he does this because of the name and the righteousness of God. It is this God, this holy, good, and right God, who by his spirit calls us to worship with words from Psalm 143, verse 10 to 11. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Let us stand and sing in response how firm a foundation.
pray. Great God and Father in heaven, we bow in your presence in this morning, this beautiful day that you have created, a day where we experience your, your mercies that are new each morning. Father, we're thankful that we can come to you, a holy, a majestic, a sovereign God, a God who has all power and authority in his hand, a God who is worthy of worship. And so, Lord, we gather together as your people, people called after your name. What an amazing thing this is. Sinful people, needy people, and yet people called after yourself, after your righteous and holy name. And we're thankful, Father, that we can come to you. We pray, Lord, that our worship today would be pleasing in your sight, that you would accept our worship. And, Father, we pray that our hearts would be united together from the youngest to the oldest in worshiping you. Teach us, Lord, how to follow you. Teach us how to serve you, to love you. If there are those here, Lord, who do not know you, we pray, God, that you would work in a saving way by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, today we pray that you would receive our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us sing Ancient of Days.
This morning, our scripture reading is from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 to 32. As we read this, you will know that this is a familiar passage, uh, one where we find uh, God's great covenant declaration that he will give us a new heart, a new spirit, that he will sprinkle us with clean water and purify us from all of our pollution. So let us hear God's word. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Well, on what occasion does this passage come? As as the scriptures say, this is because of the hard-heartedness of God's people from all of their pollution that God declares that he will act. We have hearts of stone that have profaned the name of God. And so in, in ways that this passage has convicted you, uh, we should bring this to God in confession of our sins. Let us do this together, first privately, and then I will close our time of confession in a prayer of repentance. Our Father in heaven, we bow in your sight, in your holy presence. We come to you, O God, a God who is righteous in every way, a God who is holy, a God who even the angels, the sinless angels, have to avert their eyes 
because they cannot behold you. And to this God we come. We come, O Lord, confessing our sins, confessing our abomination, confessing our hard heart, confessing, O God, that in ourselves we are sinful people. And so, Lord, we confess our deep need and dependence upon you. We confess, Lord, that we need your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. We are thankful, Lord, for the promise also included in this passage that you, the gracious God, the God who will act because you are, because you are holy, because of your great name, that you will act, that you will sprinkle us with clean water. Oh, Father, we, we desperately need this clean water. Purify our hearts, O oh God. They are sinful indeed. And so, Lord, we pray that you would put a new spirit within us. Change our hard, stony hearts to hearts of flesh, to hearts that want to, desert, want to worship you, that want to follow a heart after you. Lord, forgive us in the ways that we do not. Forgive us in the ways that we transgress your law. Day by day, Lord, we do this. And so, Lord, we need your spirit. We need your forgiveness. And, Lord, we pray this, that you would act only because of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have uh, confessed your sin, know that God is a forgiving God, as he declares from Hebrews chapter 9. Hear this word of promise, this promise of pardon. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the pur- purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What an amazing God we serve. Let us stand in response to this great promise of pardon. Be unto your name.
Let us give thanks to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this day that you have called us to this place to worship you. Father, we give thanks for the congregation here at Redeemer. We thank you for all who you have uh, brought together in this place uh, to the, the body of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that as the body we can lift up one another. And this morning we thank you for the prayers this past week and for the good report uh, regarding Kaylee and their little girl and Jared. And we just pray that you would uh, be with them. We pray that the, the progress that has uh, already taken place would continue. And we thank you that we live in a time and a place where these medical procedures are even possible. We thank you for the care that they've received. And we pray that you would continue to watch over them. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. And we thank you for the preaching of your word, as we've heard these last few Sunday evenings of the importance of, your pre of the preaching of your word and, and how we should listen well to it. And we thank you that we once again have the opportunity to hear your word preached this morning. We pray that you would be with Pastor Lorup. Pray that by the Holy Spirit he would be able to recall all that he has studied and all that you have laid on his heart to share with us as he brings us your word. And we pray that by the same spirit, our hearts and minds would be ready to receive your word, the goodness that you have for us, Lord. And we thank you for the material blessings that you've given us. And we thank you that we have this opportunity to give back a portion of that which you have given to us. And we pray that you would Bless these tithes and offerings. We pray that they would be multiplied and that they would be used to spread the good news of the gospel here in our community and to the ends of the earth. And we thank you, Lord, that we indeed have good news to share with those around us. As we just sung, even in the difficult times, uh, we can come to you and we can know that you are close to us. As we sang earlier, Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, he is here with me. I am not alone. Oh, his love is sure, and he knows my name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. Father, we thank you that you are close to us, that you know us, that you know us by name, and that you hear us. And we thank you for the words of Psalm 28. Blessed be the Lord God, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Father, there are many twists and turns in this world, but we thank you that we know that our future is secure, that you love us, and that the days ahead include days spending in the house of the Lord forever. And we give thanks for our Savior who went to the cross, paid the penalty that we deserved, so that we can enjoy days by the glassy sea forever and ever. We give thanks to the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
morning. We come now to a time of interceding for those in our church who have asked for uh, public prayer, and uh, let us join our hearts together as we come before the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we come to you to acknowledge our continuous need for your everlasting grace. We praise you for your promised care and for all the ways that we can trace your faithfulness in our lives. We come with the desire to see your glory revealed in our lives through answered prayer, and we ask you to give strength and help to those on our prayer list. We pray for Dell and Mary Muhlenberg, as Dell has been diagnosed with cancer and is undergoing tests and treatments. We ask you to be with both Dell and Mary, that they would know your peace that they would feel your hand guiding them through this season of life. Lord, we pray also for our dear sister Dorothy Biker after her fall and her broken collarbone, Lord, that you would, uh, though she is now in hospice, Lord, we acknowledge uh, her great testimony that all the past of the Lord are mercy and truth because Christ has kept his covenant and your testimonies. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in her life these many years. And we ask you to give comfort to Dorothy and to the whole family as they walk through this time with her. We also pray that you would be with Anna DeBoer and her two cousins, Grace and Liz, as they uh, return with the rest of the Bridge Street children uh, from Guatemala this coming Tuesday. Thank you for the work that they've labored in there. And uh, we pray that as they sought to plant seeds of your gospel in many different poor neighborhoods, Lord, that those seeds would be yielding uh, sprouting and, and bearing great fruit for your kingdom uh, in days and years to come. We also pray for your grace to be poured out upon our dear brother, Zach Francois, and for all the MAF workers as Zach is traveling around the U.S. to raise money for this work. Uh, Lord, that you would help him to be safe in those travels, to be able to find the support that is needed uh, from your people, and that uh, he would be safely brought back uh, to Haiti in uh, your timing and in your work um, to be at, uh, in giving the safety to all those that are working in that place, uh, helping them prepare, helping them in their security training to face a variety of potential attacks, kidnappings, ambushes, high-risk situations, Lord, as they train for that, that you would let them be prepared and know that you're with them through the midst of it. We also pray for the high-risk situations in Ukraine and in the Middle East, Lord, for you to end these wars, uh, that you would deliver believers on both sides from this conflict and that you would uh, bring to faith those that do not know you in a saving way, that you would bear, let them bear witness faithfully in the midst of conflict. Lord, give them wisdom and help for the military and for the government leaders that your grace would be poured out. We also praise you for answered prayer for the Breadaway family. We thank you that the surgery did go well, that uh, Kaylee and the baby are are healing, and, and uh, we just thank you that Kaylee's post-procedure contractions have stopped. Uh, we ask you that they would both be able to heal well and transition back to uh, Ronald McDonald House either tomorrow or Tuesday. And uh, uh, we know that she has a long bed rest ahead of her and just ask that you would just keep the baby in the womb for as long as possible and that you would help uh, Jared and Kaylee as, and their whole family as they wait on you and as they renew their strength by their trust in you. Lord, we pray for the other expectant parents as well, for Mike and Kaylin, uh, for Derek and Jess, for Phil and Marissa, 
uh, for Ben and Brianna also, Lord, that you would uh, give help to each one of them, uh, that you would keep these babies safe and that they would be able to be born healthy and happy as well uh, for uh, all the ways that you're at work in these families. You would give them the grace that they need. We pray for our sister church, Providence, in Manistee. We pray for Pastor Michael Coy and his wife Susan and for all the leaders at that particular church. We're grateful for the new visitors that they've enjoyed, for the current building that they can serve in, as well as the spiritual growth that they're seeking. Your wisdom and your discernment to stand firm in difficult times and that you would give them the boldness and courage that they're asking for to continue to be salt and light in that community. We pray for our own Presbytery of Michigan, Ontario, as we are in search of a part-time regional home missionary. Uh, Lord, you alone can provide the right person for that uh, job and what it would do to serve uh, the needs of our presbytery, and we ask that you would provide it in your timing. We also pray for those in authority, for our president, Joe Biden, uh, that he would uh, know uh, your presence, uh, that you would do a work in his heart to recognize uh, his need for you, uh, his need for... Uh, walking in a way that would uh, honor you and that your uh, grace would be poured out uh, with saving faith. And uh, we pray also for our military personnel, for uh, Eric Ball, for Chris Heisinger, and for Zach McMaster, for uh, all the ways that they are serving in our military. Thank you for their willingness and for all those that seek to defend our freedoms in our country. We pray for the persecuted church in Laos, Lord, and for the ways that the um, government officials are seeking to threaten uh, that church and the pastor there and, and to destroy uh, their lives and their homes. And uh, you're the only one that can bring protection and help to them, that they would stand under that threat with faithfulness and with grace. We know it is only by the power of your spirit uh, that they can walk faithfully in the midst of persecution and that you would just demonstrate your care uh, for them in that place. Lord, guide us now in this time in your word that your spirit would accomplish your perfect purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14. We are in the middle of the upper room discourse uh, in the book of John. This is the time that Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and his departure. Now, the weightiness of Jesus' last words to his disciples cannot be overstated. He loves them. And he wants to prepare them for the time that they will serve without him. Now, when you face a very difficult task, what is the very first thing that you do? Do you plan? Do you prepare? Do you pray? Well, there are times when the task that God has called us to do feels greater than we can even imagine, particularly when we feel the resistance of our own flesh from the world, and from the devil. And we can get easily discouraged. Now, the Lord will often bring us to a place when we just simply say, Lord, I can't. And then the Spirit within us reminds us that He can. Well, that is the place that the disciples find themselves, and it's the place that we need to find ourselves for us to grasp what is going on in this particular text of Scripture. Jesus is going away. And these disciples were distressed and clueless about what they would do without their Lord. And so Jesus speaks the most clearly in all of the texts in John about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, so far in the book of John, 
Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in chapter 3 about being born of the Spirit. He spoke very briefly about the Spirit in chapter 7, but now Jesus fully introduces the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn that Jesus gave us his Spirit to manifest himself through our obedience. Jesus gave us his Spirit to manifest himself through our obedience. Now, we can't obey God in our own strength. The Spirit can. And so we will learn, first of all, that the Spirit empowers us to know truth. Second, to keep commands. And thirdly, to control fear. So if you would follow with me in John 14, we'll be reading verses 15 to 31. This is the word of the living God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me will not, does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you, will have, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go. From here. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Most of you know uh, that I did not grow up in church but came to faith in Christ uh, in my late teens when I was 19. 
Uh, for those of you that are newer, you may not know that I had very long blonde hair down to the middle of my back. Very hard to guess uh, now. Um, but at the time that I came to Christ, I was so hungry for the Word of God that I got involved in like four different Bible studies uh, over that summer. And one of the Bible studies was the one that was the closest to my house. And it just so happened to be full of a bunch of seasoned saints uh, that were very dear, uh, all of them with white hair in their 70s and 80s, and then me, the 19-year-old with the long blonde hair. So if you can imagine that situation. And you know, they would ask different questions, and I wasn't really sure how to answer those questions because I knew nothing. And so I would tell them that. I said, I, I've just started learning about these things. I really don't know the answer. And so one of the guys trying to encourage me said, you know, I've been in church my whole life, but it's only recently that I came to understand uh, the gospel myself and, and to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And in absolute seriousness, I said to him, just in time, Yeah, I made eight friends very quickly uh, with that comment, not knowing why they were laughing so hard until I realized how it sounded to him. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it is possible to gain a head knowledge about Christianity and yet not actually turn from our sins and trust Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Savior. It's possible. Dr. R.C. Sproul tells a very similar story about his wife, Vesta. They had been dating since high school, but went to different colleges. And so R.C. came to faith when he was in college, and uh, he and his girlfriend were going to take a uh, trip home. And so uh, she decided to visit him uh, at his college before they made their way back home. And uh, when she was there for that day, there was a Bible study that they were having. And uh, during that Bible study, the gospel was presented and this girl, who had grown up in church her entire life, transferred her trust to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. She told R.C. that now I know who the Holy Spirit is. I knew about him from the Apostles' Creed and from the preaching that I've heard, but now I know him personally. She came to know God because of the inward work of the Holy Spirit. And so we learn first that only by the Spirit can we know truth. Verse 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, how do you think that sounded to the disciples? Didn't they already know the truth of God's commands? I mean, the Jews had heard God's commands and taught them to their children for almost 1,500 years. The disciples were not ignorant about what God required. But Jesus reminded the disciples of what it says in Deuteronomy when he said in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus wanted the disciples to know that love for God and love for others is the summary of all of God's law. Love is at the heart of obedience. But notice that Jesus did not say, if you love me, you should keep my commandments. He didn't say should. He said you will. It's a promise. Our text today is 
filled with promise after promise of what Jesus will do by the power of his Spirit. But how could Jesus promise that we will keep his commands? No one can keep God's law perfectly. Jesus is the only one to ever live the perfect life. We break all of God's commands every day. Well, this goes back to what Dr. Beakey read earlier from Ezekiel 36. He says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. As God's people, we can't obey God perfectly by the power of our own flesh. But by the Spirit, we can grow in grace. We can put off the flesh. We can put on the Spirit as the Spirit enables us. We cannot obey in our own power, but by the Spirit, He does empower us. Now, consistent with this prophecy in Ezekiel, Jesus teaches them what will happen in the future by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know afterwards it's the day of Pentecost that he's referring to, but he says in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Did you notice that the gift of the Holy Spirit is actually an answer to Jesus's prayer? Jesus says, I will ask of the Father, and God grants that prayer so that we are not left alone. Jesus kept his promise to never leave us because he dwells with us by his Spirit who is called in this text, the helper. Now, the Greek word that is translated there, the helper, is a very potent word that is not very easy to translate into English. Some of you have maybe different translations than the ESV, and it might say counselor, comforter, advocate, intercessor, or defender. All of these are accurate. Not one of them can actually sum it all up, the potency of that particular word, but because helper is the most general incorporating all of those, the ESV translators chose helper. Now, this helper is only for believers. Jesus wants us to know that the world cannot receive biblical truth because they are spiritually dead. Only when the Spirit comes and raises the dead soul to life and then gives them faith will they know truth and then believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only when the Spirit initiates salvation can a dead sinner come to faith in Jesus. And so Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the spirit of truth dwelled in Jesus, and so the spirit was with the disciples the whole time in Jesus. But soon, during the day of Pentecost, the spirit would dwell in them too, right? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But how can we be certain that the spirit of God is dwelling in my heart and in your heart? I don't want anybody leaving here without the opportunity 
to know the Holy Spirit personally. And so there's three ways that the Spirit works in people's hearts to bring them to saving faith. We learn from the New Testament that the Spirit is the only one who will convict you of sin by the truth, right? All humans have a conscience, and that conscience may cause you to feel guilty when you sin. Even unbelievers can feel guilt, but our conscience is not perfect, Our conscience can become calloused. Our conscience can be hardened against the commands of God, which is spoken of in Romans 1. So only the Spirit can convict a sinner that his behavior is actually rebellion against a holy God. And it's only the Spirit that can even make us care at all by giving us the fear of the Lord. The Spirit of truth also calls you irresistibly to faith in the truth of Christ. If someone has been raised from spiritual death and he puts his faith in Jesus Christ, right? that person is put in a place to hear the gospel first. Maybe it's a parent or a Sunday school teacher, or a friend who's sharing the gospel with you. Maybe you hear the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus preached from the pulpit. Maybe you're just spending time reading God's word by yourself. Maybe it's all of these methods and more that the Spirit uses, but the Spirit then gives ears to hear and a heart to believe the good news. Then as someone who has confessed their sin and has turned away from that sin in repentance, the spirit of truth will then comfort us with the truth of assurance of our salvation. Now, we're not perfect, and we won't be until Jesus comes back or we're taken up to glory after death. But we can still believe the promise of Jesus, who said in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Is that you? Have you passed from death to life and trusted Christ alone as your Lord and Savior? Well, all three of these truths applied to all believers in all ages because that's how the Spirit works to bring people to saving faith. It has always ever been faith in the Messiah, either the Messiah that's to come or the Messiah who has already come. And so the promise Jesus is offering is not about salvation, right? That's what the Spirit accomplished already in their hearts, but it's about the empowerment that the Spirit would bring so that they would fulfill all the things that Jesus is commanding. So for those who have already trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, salvation is just the beginning. The Spirit, as Ezekiel said, will then empower you to secondly keep his commands. Verse 18 says, And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus has compassion 
on his disciples. He loves them with an everlasting love. He told them he is going away, but he doesn't want them to feel abandoned. He promises to come to them and to unite them to the Father, even as they are united to him. But how? How is that possible for them to be united to the Father? Well, we know it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ by faith. And because Christ is one with the Father, we too become one with the Father and the Spirit. Now, Jesus goes back to repeating himself when he says in verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be, man, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I hope you feel the gravity of that particular promise. He's saying he's going away, but he's saying he will manifest himself to us. This is one of the most powerful promises we have from Jesus himself. In the midst of their grief and their confusion, Jesus is leaving. The Lord reassures them again that he would manifest himself to them. Now, he says it multiple times, but obviously they're not quite getting it. And so we read what Judas says in verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, John tells us, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, Judas was a popular name, so two of the disciples were named Judas. Judas Iscariot had already left the room back in chapter 13, verse 30. The other Judas wanted to understand why Jesus would manifest himself to them, but not to the whole world. William Hendrickson tries to paraphrase Judas, basically thinking he says, Jesus, show yourself your great power to the world. It may not be too late. Make an impression. Get into the limelight. Win applause. Overthrow the opposition. But that was not why Jesus had come. He did not come for a short-sighted vision of just overthrowing Roman oppression. Jesus came to end all oppression that sin has ever had upon all of the people of God for all ages. That is his great salvation. So to double down on the point Jesus was trying to make, Jesus said again, he answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Judas, disciples, people of God, please understand the powerful truth that Jesus is trying to impress upon our hearts in this text. Listen, when the body of Christ, in all of our diversity, actually by the Spirit's power, obeys Jesus and does what he's called us to do, in that way we manifest Jesus to the world. God's commands are the manifestation of his own character. 
So when we imitate him, by the grace of the Spirit, when we reflect the holiness of God, people can see the manifestation of Jesus. Jesus will pray that this exact thing will happen three chapters later in John 17. He says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And here's the purpose clause, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Brothers and sisters, we cannot keep God's commands in our own strength. We can't, but the Spirit can. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God by our own effort. But as those who are loved, as those who have already received the grace of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, We have a faith that is a living faith. It is a faith that responds to God in obedience. And so that as we manifest Jesus in our sanctification, our love for God, our love for one another, then people can see Jesus in us. When we die to self and put on Christ, people see the Spirit's work. If they are then given ears to hear and hearts to believe, they may know and may even ask you, what's different about you? Jesus is the difference. It's the only thing you have to tell them. If you see anything different, it's I'm hoping what you see is Jesus. But if there is nothing different about us, if we treat each other as bad or worse than the world treats each other, There is no difference for them to see. They will not see Jesus. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews said in chapter 12, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will what? See the Lord. Perhaps this feels like a heavy responsibility. It is. The disciples were likely overwhelmed by this as well. He knows our weakness. He knows that our default response, every time God shows up, what happens? Do not fear. Why? Because we're scared, right? God manifests himself and we're fearful. And so the disciples certainly had their fear. But by the power of the Spirit, we too can learn, thirdly, to control fear. What do you fear? Some of you in your hearts might be saying everything. Others are saying, nothing, except that I don't want people to know that I'm scared. See, there's nothing we can do to get away from some element of fear. Jesus had taught the disciples a lot, and now he's leaving. The first fear that Jesus addresses is the fear of forgetting. So I want to ask you, what was the title of last Sunday's sermon? Are you scared you forgot? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I don't know. It was called Faith Not Fear. Maybe we can all go back and listen to that. But Jesus knows that his disciples can't remember everything either. Right? We're not alone. They were the same way. Jesus 
taught a lot of things that they likely forgot. And so Jesus tries to encourage them in verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That promise is proven by holding the New Testament in our hands, right? The Spirit taught them. The Spirit gave them remembrance. It says that he carried them along, that the Holy Spirit carried them along as they wrote the Word of God in the New Testament. So we have that glorious promise. But Jesus then addressed the fear of trouble, verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now you may be wondering, how does the world give? The world gives temporarily to manipulate you to do what they want you to do. That's how the world gives. Jesus is not giving temporarily to manipulate you. Jesus is giving to you permanently that you would know his power and his grace and his love that is everlasting and to enjoy that peace that surpasses understanding. This was the verse that I read to Kaylee and Jared early in the morning just before surgery. Friends, our hearts don't need to be troubled. We don't need to be afraid because nothing surpasses God. Nothing surprises God. God. God cannot be overcome and God cannot be deceived. God's plan is the only plan that will ever work out perfectly and his ways are greater than our ways. We just simply need to find rest in the promises that Jesus gives us over and over again so that we might have true and everlasting peace. Jesus then addresses the uh, fear of loneliness in verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Now when we fear loneliness, we struggle looking at things from others' perspective. And that's what Jesus is telling the disciples. If you really loved me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the Father. Well, For those of you in this room who are mourning a believing spouse, you know that your spouse is finally at peace. And the love that you have for your spouse actually helps you to accept that they enjoying that peace gives you peace because of the love the Spirit gave to you. That is a powerful truth. Jesus can minister to us in that loss with his love. Finally, Jesus addresses the fear of unbelief in verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do, as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus gave us these promises before they happen to strengthen our faith when they happen. 
everything God ever promised is yes in Jesus Christ. Even the devil himself can't stop Jesus from loving the Father. It was the Father who asked him to go obediently to the cross. And Jesus set his gaze on the joy that was set before him, the joy of his father's love, the joy of being with his bride forevermore in the future. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And so when the Spirit of God gives us that same vision, looking forward to the joy that is ours of enjoying the perfection of God's love for all eternity, that joy of our Heavenly Father, the joy of our Savior, the joy of the Holy Spirit, we can face any fear when you lock on to that vision of that eternal joy. Now, in that moment of greatest doubt in your life, the Spirit can shine the light of His truth that is hidden in your heart that will fan the spark of faith into flame where we just simply say, Lord, I can't, but the Spirit can. Lastly, Jesus said, rise, let us go from here. Now, this phrase has caused quite a bit of stir among the unbelieving scholars who are looking to poke holes in the Scriptures. Why? Because Jesus appears to speak for another three chapters before actually leaving in chapter 18, verse 1. But couldn't this just be a Michigan goodbye? We learned about Michigan goodbyes when we first moved here. It's an art. Generally, someone will say, in this case, Jesus, well, we should probably get going. And as they get up, maybe Jesus starts another conversation about the vine and the branches as they gather their cloaks and sandals. Maybe at the door he explains the work of the Spirit and the threats that are coming. And maybe feeling such urgency because what is actually about to happen, Jesus then decides to pray the high priestly prayer while they're standing at the door, and then he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. I mean, it sounds perfectly reasonable to me, at least if you're from Michigan. My friends, the scriptures are perfect. We have no reason to doubt them. God has revealed himself by the power of the Holy Spirit to our hearts, and you got to know, if you don't learn anything else today, know that Jesus loves you and that he promised you the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to know truth, to keep commands, and to control fear. Jesus gave us his spirit to manifest himself through our obedience so that people get a glimpse of Jesus and that we can share the gospel with them and that they might have ears to hear the glorious salvation that comes to us in Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the incredible gift, the answer to prayer of your prayer, Lord Jesus, that the Spirit would come and that you have come into our hearts, that you would raise us from spiritual death so that we might have faith and trust in Christ and that you would empower us to do greater things than you did. Certainly not greater in quality, but greater in quantity. 
that your church throughout the last two millennia have been spreading your gospel across the nations. Lord, we're so grateful that you have used us in that regard. Help us to move forth in that way in our families, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, on the upcoming short-term mission trip. Lord, in all the ways that this church reaches out and supports missionaries, Lord, that your spirit would accomplish the advancement of your kingdom so that your name is glorified. Lord, work in our hearts that we would find peace and rest in Christ alone. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let us stand and respond to our God singing together.
after the benediction, at the conclusion of the doxology, uh, we're going to uh, have you be seated, and I'm just going to have a 10-minute presentation of my sabbatical plan. If you have to leave for the bathroom or whatever you have to do, uh, you may do it, but just wanted to make you aware of that. So, brothers and sisters, hear the blessing of your Heavenly Father. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. seated. All right, so I really appreciate the opportunity to share a summary of my sabbatical plan with you. Uh, Redeemer has been a great church home for our family for these last seven years, and uh, we are so appreciative of how so many of you have been such a great blessing uh, to us in our lives. Now, because I'm the first pastor to enjoy the benefit of a sabbatical, it seems best to start with a brief history of how our church came to uh, create a sabbatical policy. It was about four years ago uh, that a small ad hoc committee was created to research uh, sabbatical policies and to give a recommendation to the session. Uh, We had a good sense of what uh, we wanted to say, but it wasn't completed until the policy, or the policy wasn't completed until the winter of 2023. The policy was emailed out to the church uh, last spring, and uh, we have printed copies in your boxes today, and there's some at the Welcome Center if you don't have a mailbox or you didn't get one. Now, perhaps the most obvious question is, why am I not clicking my slides? The second most obvious question is, why give a pastor a sabbatical? Now, there's been many, many articles uh, that have been written over these last number of years about the importance of pastor sabbaticals. Now, most people are more familiar with the uh, uh, academic sabbatical where a professor would take a semester off or would take a year off and he would write a book or he would get another degree or something like that. Uh, But pastor sabbaticals are different because the work of a pastor is very different than that of a professor. A pastor is on call, unlike a professor, 24-7. They show up in hospital rooms at 4 a.m., come to bedsides of children, elderly, and everyone in between. Now, most pastors are expected to be excellent preachers, 
teachers, counselors, mediators, visionaries, friends, strategists, scholars, culture experts, computer techs, especially this last few years with Zoom, but also able to converse in medical terminology and able to address church polity issues on the local, regional, and national level. And depending on the size of the church, the pastor has to be able to fill in for any job at any time. But with so many different expectations, no pastor can do all of these different expectations with excellence. And often we feel the weight of that burden. Now, I didn't understand when I was in seminary what Paul referred to uh, when he said, the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You see, that daily pressure adds up over time, and most pastors don't get sabbaticals because they leave their pulpits uh, and transfer to other churches too frequently, or churches don't recognize the need. Now, for newer people, uh, this is my history uh, at Redeemer. Are you doing it or am I doing it? I am. Okay, just making sure this is working. So... uh, I came to Redeemer in uh, May of uh, 2017, and then within the first year of being here, Pastor John uh, left for Westminster. Uh, Following uh, that particular time, uh, I served as the interim pastor until uh, we called Pastor Jeff in August of 2019, and then, as you all know, we had COVID. Yes, many different challenges that came with that. Uh, uh, more personally in my life uh, in 2020, other things that were stressors over the last seven years that I'm not going to mention, but I'm very thankful uh, for Redeemer's generosity, for the Lord's generosity through you for providing uh, this time uh, for us uh, to have this time of rest. Now, you may be wondering, what do I plan to do on a sabbatical? Well, the theme of my sabbatical is redeeming rest by resting in the Redeemer. I am trusting the Lord to help me to recalibrate my mind, my heart, and my will for the next two decades of ministry. Now, my core verse is Matthew 11. It is, uh, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wrote my purpose statement for the OPC uh, grant proposal, and I said, I am seeking personal, marital, familial, and congregational renewal by God's grace through developing healthy rhythms of renewing activities and restful habits. What does all that mean? Well, I decided to break down the sabbatical plan into an acronym. The acronym is using the word DREAM. So the D of DREAM is DISENGAGE. I plan to spend my very first week uh, by myself with just me and the Lord. Friends have kindly offered me time at their cabin up north, and I will read and pray and rest, go for walks, pray more, rest more, and truly try to disengage from all the variety of burdens and just rest in Christ. The R of dream is to reconnect with the core relationships in my life. I will reconnect, first of all, with the Lord, as I said, taking that time together to refocus uh, on my true identity in Christ. Now, all of us are tempted to find our identity in our work, find our identity in our families, or some other thing except for Jesus, and so uh, the Lord is going to have me refocus on that. 
I have kept 27 years of prayer journals, and I plan to reread them to trace God's faithfulness throughout all of my life. I will study and rest in God's promises. I plan to read deeply about biblical rest, and I plan to read widely and explore the breadth of human creativity. I plan to also reconnect with my wife. There is a pastor's retreat for 15 couples uh, that we plan to attend. Uh, The leader of this retreat has been helping pastors uh, learn how to rest for the last 20 years. Jess and I need that time. And, uh, but I'm also planning time for us to you know, spend just the two of us going on walks, having extended, uninterrupted conversation and prayer together. I also plan to reconnect with my boys. Nathan leaves for college in a year. Crazy to think that. He was 10 when we moved here. Now he's 17. Crazy. Just snap your fingers. Well, I'm very glad to have the extended time with him, with Andrew, with Timothy as well uh, for uh, in, investing. Uh, I mean, I've been a part of their lives frequently in all the different activities that they've done, but I really want to invest in their hearts uh, for eternity. Our family is hoping also to travel for a couple weeks in the Rockies. I'm also going to invest in family and friends. It's great to have my mother and my mother-in-law here that we can continue growing in that relationship. I'd also like to spend time focusing on my brother as well as uh, different friends that I don't get to see very much and enjoy some time with them. I plan to reconnect with other churches during my, the summer uh, where I will worship with three to five other churches for two to four weeks, uh, taking note of sermon content and delivery, worship practices, music, fellowship and educational activities, small group practices, and then make connections with more pastors in our community. I'd like to interview these pastors and learn from them what their rest patterns are like, but also bring encouragement to them for their ministries. I also plan to uh, rediscover and reconnect with my artistic talents. Some of you know that I was a fine arts major in college with a concentration in sculpture. So I will set up a dedicated space for my potter's wheel and even explore glass blowing. God has given me certain talents and I have left them dormant in my life for far too long. And so I love to make things and I believe that God wants me to spend some time reconnecting with all the aspects of how he has made me Uh, in his image. Moving on to the E of dream is evaluate. Evaluate what strengths and weaknesses uh, are in my life and ministry and what needs to change for me to function at the optimum level for the next 20 or 30 years. Now, you may have heard of setting priorities like putting big rocks in a jar, and then you put in the little rocks, and then you put in the sand, and then the water. And if you put the big rocks in first, then the jar will hold more. And so I'm hoping to put in these big rocks and develop a very healthy family work balance. The A of dream is assess how to engage in these new priority patterns uh, so that I can put the Lord first that I can recognize that I'm human and to respect the limitations of my body and my mind and that I can engage on a heart level with a core of trusted counselors and that I can seek to walk by example in all my relationships to engage in healthy patterns of rest and restorative activities and prayerfully serve the Lord and his church more faithfully by resting in my Redeemer. The M of dream is move. Move into doing these disciplines as early as possible during my sabbatical and continue on with them as I re-engage a normal schedule of life and ministry. I am praying I can do this with a much greater sense of confidence and clarity and courage. 
Hebrews 13, 17 talks about leaders serving with joy as the greatest advantage, not just for the leader, but for the church. So I am praying that the Lord will renew my creativity and deepen my love for Christ and his church for the long term. And I plan to have ongoing conversations with my family, friends, counselors, and then when I return with our elders about how to optimize uh, my care for God's people, the use of my gifts, and how to best equip the saints for the work of ministry. I want to thank you for your part of giving us this incredible gift for investing in me and our family and in our church. I am very grateful for Redeemer. And I'll be happy to answer any questions that you might have uh, been thinking about. Yes. Great question. Very simple thing that I didn't mention. So I will be here. My last Sunday here will be April 28th. Uh, so it'll start on April 29, and then go. Uh, the the sabbatical policy offers four months, and so then I'll be back uh, in church with no responsibilities on August 25th, and then the last day of the sabbatical is August 26th, and I'll be back in the office on August 27th. And so we have all different things that we're working on to get every one of the details covered for my absence during the summer. Good question. Yes. Yeah, so the sabbatical policy requires what I'm doing now, telling you what I'm going to do, and then when I come back, giving a report about what, what, how, how to go. Good question. That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I listed out quite a number of things, um, but just that my tendency is to overplan. I know that sounds shocking to you. Um, and so how do I not over-engineer rest? Pray that I don't over-engineer rest. Just rest. That'd be a good prayer. <laughs> Good advice, Jim. I appreciate not telling people where we're going. Thank you. If there's questions you have that you want to email me, I'm happy to answer them. Um, if there's no other public questions that you want to ask, um, then I will just say, Lord bless you. Hope you have a wonderful day of rest uh, in the Lord.